Welcome to the Innovation Deep End. This is the podcast all about aquatic construction. So no matter what you do, if you're a designer, a builder, an engineer, manufacturer, distributor, consultant, whatever, um, you're in the right place. Uh, I'm your host. I'm John Moy, and I lead the link for aquatic construction software to win more projects and work more efficiently. Now, what we do in this podcast is really we just go out and try and find great experts and leaders and innovators in the aquatics industry from all over the space. And we just ask them, what are their keys to success? What are the trends that they see? And we try to learn a little bit from other folks who are doing different things in the industry. I'm really thrilled today with our guest. Uh, we've got Craig Sears. Uh, he's widely known as the nicest guy in aquatics. Uh, at least that's <laughs> what I think. <laughs> and uh, not only that, um, he's got several decades uh, being a leader of Sears Pools Management. Um, and during his tenure there, he served as the uh, he served the industry as the vice president and then the president of the Georgia chapter of the Association of Pools and Spas. Uh, he's constantly just giving back and really is considerate and intentional about investing his time in others um, in, in lots of different ways. And so uh, we're really happy to have him here on the pod. He's he's a little bit different than most of the people that we have. Uh, we're typically talk, talking to builders and su suppliers who are almost exclusively in construction, whether that's residential or commercial. Um, and while I know that Sears Pools Management does do renovation and construction, your bread and butter really is in the maintenance and management of facilities. That's correct. Um, and, and that's, you know, I'm, I'm excited to have a little bit of a different lens today because that's what we aim for. We wanna get input and perspective from everyone in the industry uh, because it's that type of input and that type of collaboration that really drives innovation and improvement. Uh, that's what we're all about here. So Craig, first of all, thanks for joining us. We're delighted to have you here. Yeah, thank you for having me, John. I'm glad you mentioned that too, because I, th I think it's really important for operators and builders to talk because uh, as, as an operator, there's nothing more frustrating than starting a brand new facility and wishing that we could have had a conversation with the builder or designer mm -hmm. beforehand about, you know, if this could have been set up differently mm -hmm. and it might've been a minor or even a negligible cost difference, but it, it could make a big difference operationally. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah I, I appreciate you having me on. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I want to jump right into it. Uh, we are as recording this in October of 2020. So if you're listening to this years from now, hopefully what we're about to talk about is a distant memory but it's pretty fresh right now that since March, uh, we've really been dealing with a lot, uh, particularly in the commercial facility space, a lot of changes uh, due to management because of COVID-19 and the, the coronavirus that's been impacting daily life everywhere. And so I really would love your perspective on what changes, what major changes have you seen to facility management since, um, you know, since March? Well, quite a bit. Um... The first big question really that most facilities had to answer is, should we open at all? Mm -hmm. um, and that's been a really heartbreaking question because a lot of facilities have chosen not to open this year. Um, and that puts, uh, you know, for me, who's, who's just uh, in love with the field of aquatics, that, that, that breaks my heart because I, yeah. you know, the, the field doesn't need that kind of a, a setback. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we work, people that are in this field are very passionate about it and we work hard uh, to deliver a, a quality product to our consumers, to our, which is basically the, you know, the, the general public using yeah. our, our facilities. 
And, um, and so, can you know, I, what that means is can I ask you a access. quick question. Sure. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but first of all, absolutely. You know, we're, we're in a, a, such a great industry because we're helping people recreate and have fun and just yep. live the fullest lives that they can. It's absolutely. great to be in aquatics, but when you say many haven't opened, do you have a finger on the pulse? I know you're, you're, you know, I don't know how much outside of your region you have a finger on the pulse of, can you give me an, how many facilities do you, do you think didn't open? Uh, that's hard. I, I don't, uh, Councilman Hunsucker probably has a really good, um, idea of that better than, than I do. Mm -hmm. So I would ask that question, but I can say here in Georgia where I'm located, most of the commercial facilities open, but I think if you look across the country, Mm -hmm. that is not necessarily the case. Um, there are big areas where facilities didn't open at all this year. Um, and I would say more so, um, large municipal facilities, uh, didn't open because, mm-hmm. uh, let's face it, these facilities typically are taxpayer funded. They are not, um, they're not operating in the black. Usually they're operating in the red. And so when given the opportunity to reduce liability and cut costs, a lot of you know, city councils decided not to open their facilities this mm-hmm. year. And that's really a shame for the residents, but mm-hmm. that is what happened. Yeah. Um, even some mm-hmm. here in Atlanta, but, uh, I, I would say it was more widespread in, elsewhere in the country. Got it. Sorry for the interruption. Uh, Yeah, no problem. So that was really kind of the first big question is, you know, should we open? And then, okay, then the follow-up to that is, can we open and can we do it safely? Um, And so, you know, there were a lot of, initially there were a lot of concerns about sanitation of surfaces. And, you know, we've since discovered that that is probably not the primary means of transmission. So it's it's not quite the focus that it was back in March and April, but I, I can say March, April, and May, there was a lot of focus on how do we sanitize these surfaces and do it regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been a big change. Uh, there was a big discussion around uh, lifeguard training protocols. How do we get guards mm-hmm. certified? Uh, because as you can imagine, there's uh, there's a new a new group of guards have to come in every year because, you know, a lot of these positions are seasonal and they, uh, they phase out of, of that job and they don't return. And so every year, you know, I would say on average about 50%, um, at least in this area or more in other country areas of the country um, is new staff every year. So that put the whole industry at a major disadvantage of not being able to train because we couldn't get together in groups. Mm-hmm. So we had to rethink that. We had to get together with the leading uh, agencies of, you know, how and determine, you know, how can we conduct training? And they put out some great guidance. I think we got some great guidance from uh, StarGuard and Red Cross in particular. Um, and um, that was helpful, but ultimately it came down to the individual uh, facilities, you know, did they have a facility that, that they could train safely in? Uh, how serious was the outbreak in their area uh, as far as, you know, when they could resume training. Here in Georgia, we were able to resume uh, training in May. Uh, I think it was mid mid to late May when we resumed training, uh, which put us at about a three to four week, you know, deficit uh, behind of where we would have liked to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but other places in the country, you know, they weren't training till June or July. And I know there were places, facilities that didn't open until July or August because of that. Uh, so that was a, that was a big change uh, to management. And then of course, once the facilities are open, there was a whole, there was a big debate in the industry of should lifeguards be wearing masks? Mm -hmm. Um, And that debate continues to this day. (laughs) Uh, And I think um, in fairness, I mean, there's, there's reasons guards should wear masks and reasons that they shouldn't wear masks. And, um, and we could probably spend the entire podcast talking about that. 
Um, but, uh, but it really depends on the circumstances. It depends on, you know, is your facility indoors or outdoors? What type of air circulation do you have? Uh, how close the proximity are the guards to the patrons and to other guards? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we came up with specific protocols and, and um, guidance for our team as far as when they should and uh, when they should be wearing a mask and when they have the option to not wear a mask if it impedes their lifeguarding duties. Uh, so that, that was a huge discussion among the industry. And then bather load um, control, you know, how do we control bather load in these facilities? Because we've got a, you know, the, the, the storyline basically was, well, we've got to reduce bather load in order to operate the facilities safely. So how do we do that? You know, that, that was put up a big challenge. Uh, a lot of facilities are only open with staff, but there's a lot of facilities in my part of the country and other parts of the country where there's no staff, there's no lifeguards, there's no attendants, there's nobody to monitor mm-hmm. um, are people safely recreating in the pool or are they getting together and acting irresponsibly? And so that put a lot of um, potential liability on facility owners and quite honestly was one of the primary reasons why many facilities decided not to open because they, they basically determined that it was too big of a, uh, of a cost um, and a burden to take on to, to manage that. So those are kind of some of the, the yeah. main things. Um, uh, what we helped clients with was uh, we helped you know, put together a questionnaire that kind of walked them through the steps and um, mm. to follow our, our governor's um, guidance. And pretty much everybody had to refer locally because, you know, there was a national plan uh, of phases. And then basically they, um, uh, the administration allowed each state to come up with what worked for their state. Um, our governor here in Georgia was uh, was kind of took a pro business approach and and wanted to try to reopen the state uh, sooner rather than later. So mm-hmm. that was helpful to us, at least from facility operators, uh, and really gave some forward thinking um, guidance on how to do that. So yeah. we were really grateful for that. Uh, I think other places in the country there was more hesitance to do that, uh, and mm-hmm. so that you know that that really affect um, affected operations. Uh, but one, you know, one of the things that we um, recommended as a best as a, a guidance tool for our clients was to come up with zones and markings in the in the pool uh, area. As far as you know, you could come in as a family unit, and this is kind of your pod. You know, you stay, mm-hmm. you sit mm-hmm. your stuff down in here, and you you stay here. And of course, when you're in the pool, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna mingle a little bit, but you need to maintain your distance. Um, and so. You know, along with that, of course, signage, that was a big thing. Uh, we had to put up uh, a lot of signage to meet uh, the latest guidance from our State Department of Health as well as CDC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those were, yeah, there was quite a bit of, um, quite a bit of change to our yeah. operations this year. Sure. Yeah, you get, it sounds like you got an entirely new checklist, uh, like Absolutely. The, reinvented the wheel here. Is that that checklist? Obviously, it's it's very tailored to your state and maybe even to your municipality or county. But is that something that was a service that you provided for your customers? Or is that something publicly available on your website that we could share with our listeners? Um, the questionnaire was something that we created and we sent out the link to it in our newsletters. But I'm certainly happy to you know, mm-hmm. send you the link to that if you, if you'd like that. Of course with the caveat that this was designed to help customers follow guidance in Georgia. Right. Um, and we are not attorneys. <laughs> so uh-huh. yeah, um, that's another important caveat. We're, we're pool professionals, but not attorneys. Right. So, 
uh, what we recommended to each client. And I, I hate you know saying this because I think people heard a lot of this throughout the pandemic was make sure you talk to your attorney and make sure you mm-hmm. talk to your insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're um, if you have a property manager, if you're an HOA or a condo association, which most of our clients are, uh, make sure you talk to your property manager because they may have some some guidance mm-hmm. from uh, Community Association yeah. Institute as well. So yeah. uh, a lot of people um, chiming in on, on, you know, what needs to be done from different perspectives. So mm-hmm. but, sure. uh, at least here in Georgia, it was a very collaborative effort. I, I felt like it, you know, it went probably about as well as it could go. <laughs> yeah. I imagine every constituent, uh, everybody representing constituents, whether the HOA or municipal had a lot of pressure to have pools open because yes. there wasn't anything else to do. Uh, everything was closed. Yeah, there was very little to do. But, um, you know, it was it was very tough because, you know, the majority of our clients are homeowners associations and, and condo associations. So they've got a volunteer board of directors mm-hmm. that are, uh, it's made of residents. And, you know, they had to make a tough call. You know, mm-hmm. do we want to, do we want to take the risk of opening or not opening? Do, yeah. you know, if you do open, you want to show a good faith effort that you're trying to follow the guidance. Obviously, you can't prevent everything. Mm-hmm. And of course, some of the um, the signage, you know, that we recommended has to say that if you, you pretty much enter this facility at your own risk and, and mm-hmm. you understand that um, the coronavirus uh, could exist within these, within these yeah. um, gates and fences and there's nothing that we can do um, to stop you from getting it, mm-hmm. uh, especially if somebody else walks in the door with it. Yeah. And you, you mentioned um, something before and you just triggered it again, the, the issue of liability. Did you, I don't know if you were close enough to this, did you see where insurance providers based on what facilities were doing in terms of opening or not opening, where there was an adjustment in rates or any sort of increase or uptick in premiums? You know, that's a great question. I, I did talk with a few insurance providers uh, and basically they told me, and this is a few months ago now, so I don't, I'm not sure if there's new information out, but they told me that they were taking a wait and see approach and they were going to basically see if there was um, an increase in, in claims. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not aware of a major increase in claims, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. there again, I'm not directly in the insurance industry. Sure. I think it would be a big burden to prove that you picked up the coronavirus from an aquatic facility. Yeah. Um, there would have to be a lot of factors that would have to line up. Mm-hmm. to to draw a line back to there. Yeah. Um, but it can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's why we told our clients that if you're going to open and, you know, we will support you in opening, but we want to help you in opening in a responsible way and following the guidance as best as you can so that you mm-hmm. can say, you know, we made a good faith effort with the resources that we have um, for opening our facility uh, to to allow for our residents to, to recreate in a safe way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's, uh, I, I really appreciate this. I mean, the, I'm sure all of your HOA um, customers and all of your customers period appreciated what you did. Um, we, we had a similar, not from a pool perspective, but um, I, I know that the Medical University of South Carolina, which is here where I live in Charleston, mm-hmm. they, they provided a back-to-business consulting service for restaurants, uh, actually really any business. That, I know that our recreation department are the, of our local municipality used them to figure out how can we safely open and got some really detailed guidance on how to safely open. And it was really, it's, I, I know they're still following it as they continue to phase, phase open different parts of the, of the facility and allow more and more people to use, use um, just all the equipment. Cool. 
But yeah, I know. I mean, people people are dependent on that. Uh, Mm -hmm. um, Okay, so in terms of we've got this this impact to COVID, and obviously a lot impact from COVID. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. And obviously, a lot of that is going to be temporary, and hopefully, most you know most of it. Is there anything that you think is going to persist beyond the pandemic, or maybe it's going to persist at least until wide wide widespread immunization exists, or you know, mm-hmm. whatever, what, whether it's the, whatever it takes for the, the, the disease to no longer impact our daily lives, what right. are you still going to see? Uh, I think that you're still going to see um, liability signage requirements will still probably persist uh, for mm-hmm. some time. Um, but like a lot of liability signage, I think that it's going to, you know, people are going to be blind to it. They're going to walk right by it. I mean, right now it's a new sign. You might actually read it when you walk in, but uh, once you've walked in the fifth time, you're not even noticing that it's on the on the wall. Uh, but I do think that you know we, we do have a when we're operating public or semi-public facilities, we have a duty to warn the public mm-hmm. of the risks, and that's one of the risks. So I think that will persist. Um, I think that the lifeguard training protocols that that were um, altered and and you know accommodated to uh, to handle or accommodate the, these concerns of, of possible transmission between lifeguard candidates. I think those will persist for a while because I think they're just, the ones that we came up with, um, the industry came up with were, uh, were helpful. And, and I think that, you know, going forward, I think that we'll continue to do that. I think in any sort of disease transmission, they would be helpful. So uh, of course there's some parts of the rescues that there's just really no way to completely socially distance. If you got to get in the water and rescue somebody, you're going to be in direct yeah. contact with them. And mm-hmm. your breath and their breath are going to be right next to each other, you know, and you can turn your head and try not to, but, you know, yeah. stuff happens. Um, mm-hmm. So um, as we say, kind of in the industry is we, you know, we, we teach to the standard and test to the objective. So mm-hmm. uh, we try to teach the standard way, and, but recognize that in real life and even in class, uh, if the student gets it right to the, to the extent that, you know, they don't, they don't do anything that would have been a critical error, um, then they pass because uh, in real life, you're gonna run into obstacles that you didn't think about in class. So you, know, you just gotta make do the best you can. Mm-hmm. So, so I think those lifeguard training protocols will probably persist. Uh, I think some sanitation guidelines will, will you know, persist or either be reinforced uh, going forward um, more so than perhaps they have in the past. And, and one thing that I hope will, will be something that as an industry we we do better with is the shower before entering rule because mm-hmm. that's always been uh, that's always been a standby and it's mm-hmm. in, in health code but it's just one that's not really enforced yeah. and you know if we can if we can get people thinking more health consciously when they enter an aquatic facility that's for everybody's good you know if people mm-hmm. will just shower before they enter we can reduce the the chlorine demand in the pool and it'll be safer for everybody, not just for coronavirus, but for everything out there, all the pathogens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one thing I hope that people just kind of have a, a general sense of the importance of health in an aquatic facility. And, and they, they think about their actions when they come into a facility more. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can remember the first time I attended a seminar on aquatics when I first, uh, you know, I'm, to my listeners, they know that I'm fairly new to this industry, but a few years ago I was at a conference and, and heard a seminar. And that that is the biggest thing that that stuck with me was the 
the problem that is created by people not showering before they enter and, and the chemistry imbalance that that creates and the fact that we have to introduce all these chemicals because people refuse to follow these simple guidelines. And the, it was interesting watching that, that presentation and all of the different ways that facilities were trying to encourage and inspire and compel people to take showers um, be, to yeah. just change this, this kind of human behavior of like, I just want to, what do you mean? I'm going to shower before I jump in the water. Oh yeah. Um, I, for some reason, Americans have this image of, uh, of the pool is our bathtub and yeah. it's not what it's supposed to be. <laughs> I think other cultures and other, um, other parts of the world, uh, specifically I'd say Europe and Asia does a much better job of, uh, mm-hmm. culturally embracing the importance of showering before entering the water. Yeah. Yeah. We don't do well, such a great job here. Yeah. Well, that, that's a good, you know, that's a good lead into something you mentioned uh, when I first introduced you, which is the relationship between designers and engineers and builders. Mm-hmm. What is it that you think they can do, um, whether it's in the light of these things that you think are going to persist or, or other challenges that exist now, just irrespective of what's going on with COVID-19? What are things that you think um, does, these designers and builders can do? Um, I think that um, uh, locker rooms and or changing rooms, bathrooms, I think that those are going to need to be given some extra thought. And um, I feel like sometimes they're an afterthought, but they really, I mean, that's an area where you've got people in close proximity. That's where they, ideally, we want them showering um, as opposed to on the pool deck. I mean, on the pool deck's better than nothing, but, um, you know, it would be preferable to have them showering in the, in the locker room. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to think about the space that is needed to properly socially distance in the locker room mm-hmm. and what that looks like going forward. Um, why, why is that better? Why is it, why is it better to have in the locker room versus on the pool deck? So in the locker room, you're more likely to take, and this is just, and this is me, my personal opinion. I think mm-hmm. you're, you're more likely to um, take a thorough shower, uh, rinse, mm-hmm. rinse longer. Um, if you, need to shower without your bathing suit, you're, you know, you could do that in the locker room, but certainly not on the pool deck. So, Mm -hmm. um, that's, you know, without getting too graphic, that's really where, you know, the concern is, uh, for, for cleaning, um, yourself and and not carrying things into the pool. Um, I think you you get a better shower showering the locker room versus on the, on the pool deck, but certainly on the pool deck is better than nothing. And, and I, yeah, and I didn't mean to ask the obvious question of like, you're going to shower more rigorously in a locker room than you are in a pool deck. Clearly, I, I brought it up for that for that rationale of from my, from my perspective. I'm thinking if it's convenient, the more convenient it is, the more likely it is to be utilized. Yes. Um, the The other question, or I guess the other interesting challenge for for us as a whole industry to to think through is, you know, working with a lot of builders. You're totally right. The locker room is an afterthought. That a lot of times aquatics is an afterthought. Um, yeah. And. Yeah. Uh, which is funny because it's what's always on the brochure. Uh, you know, right. like the first thing that people are trying to sell is look at how great our pool is or our splash pattern or fountain. Yep. That's what's selling the place. And it's oftentimes the last thing that's on Well, we got to find a pool contractor now. Um, right. A lot of times those, those builders and designers aren't involved in the locker room. Um, it's, hmm. And, and so I think that's another part of the challenge of, you know, if, if we're only doing the aquatic portion and it's not necessarily, you know, the locker room is considered part of the facility and they've got the architect doing that and it's yeah. already an afterthought for them. 
I, I think you're right. It's, it's missing a lot of love. And I don't know what the answer to that problem is. Maybe we need to develop the ideal locker room design and just start selling a CAD file to, uh, to yeah. architects out here. But um, that's not a bad idea. Um, and I was going to say the same thing about training rooms. Cause now we don't see this in HOAs and condos that much, but in, in your world, I think in, in large municipal and institutional facilities, you know, they have mm-hmm. training rooms in there too um, in the facility. And so I think those, will need to be considered as well as far as uh, from a spacing standpoint and air filtration, um, Mm -hmm. making those as safe as possible to be able to continue your training activities uh, with staff. Yeah. Um, And then traffic flow is a big one as well. So Mm -hmm. uh, I know my kids are uh, swim year round and the facility that they go to, they, because they've got, it's so tightly programmed that they've got, one team getting out of the water as another team is getting in the water. And so they've got kids coming in one door and going out another door so that they don't come in direct contact with each other. But these facilities weren't designed to operate that way. They were designed to operate with everybody coming in and out the same door. So now we've got this issue of, we don't want people to be in close proximity as they're ingressing and egressing. Um, So how do we design facilities where that is feasible and also, takes into mind patron safety. Cause I, I know like, for instance, in my in the facility where my kids go, we had practice that was starting at six in the morning for several weeks before the program could be adjusted. And they were being asked to walk in the back door, which is through pitch darkness. You know, <laughs> they were asked to walk around the outside of the facility in pitch black. There's no lighting back there. And they changed it. I mean, it's, it, it only you know, happened for a few days, but these are things that are you know, now coming up as, as safety concerns. Um, because of COVID that never would have been an issue before. Yeah. Hmm. So biggest, biggest two things so far for, for builders taking into consideration, looking at the new world as it relates to the, uh, you know, obviously a certain type of facility, but really this goes for any, any place where you're having bathers, um, yep. which is the making the locker rooms. How do we incentivize? Maybe not, maybe it's not locker rooms per se, but ways to encourage and incentivize proper cleaning before entering the uh, body water mm-hmm. and then yep. the egress and ingress and egress considerations, yeah. entrance and exit and figuring out what, what else it, it does. Those, those um, are the two big, big ones. The, I mean, those are the ones I think that are more COVID related. I think mm-hmm. uh, I have a third that's not necessarily COVID related, but um, if you've got a facility that has a glass wall, um, to, to really take into consideration the position that the sun crosses the sky and the glare that that's gonna create uh, on the pool surface and take that into consideration as far as you know, type of glass and lifeguard stationing and that sort of thing because a key problem that, that I see in the industry is um, there's drownings that occur every year because lifeguards can't see somebody. Uh, and one of the key visual obstructions that we, that we battle is glare. Wow. Yeah, because obviously the glass, the, the glass and acrylics look—they look amazing and give yes. a wow factor. And yes. so it's 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 a selling feature, uh, and it's easy to mock that. Up. It's it's easy to to draw that out mm-hmm. in a program without. Um, and I think a lot of those design programs now they have this. You know, you can kind of do the sun positioning. I don't know how much you're going to be able to see the intensity of the glare. 
I think I think the, the best designers and builders do take that into consideration. But I think just in general, you know, I've seen facilities where it wasn't taken into consideration. And, yeah. And uh, it, it's you know, it's not good for the guards. Yeah. And what's the so what's the remedy? Is it just they have the they the guards have sung the eyes, they move their stands, or they just have impaired vision? Well, yeah, hopefully not the latter. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, with our guards, we we empower them to move if they need to move. If their uh, their station is is in a position where they have a blind spot, then they're told, then yeah, you have you need to get up and you need to move mm-hmm. yourself or your position to where you can see. Um, if the glass can be tinted or you know modified in some other way uh, to help with that, you know, we we recommend that. We're certain I'm certainly not an expert in that, but. Mm-hmm. You know, recommend if possible okay all right well um i'm gonna move on to a different topic altogether and this is something that i i always like to kind of prod with people that i'm talking to whether it's on the interview here or just in conversation but um because of your you know long-standing tenure in the industry what you've seen where you see us going and build management everything where do you see opportunities for software to be part of improving the aquatics industry? And, and obviously I ask that very selfishly as someone who's involved in software. Um, I'm not saying we're going to build it, but I, you know, I look for ways that technology isn't the solution, but can be part of the solution. And that's kind of the way that I always think about any tool that you've got in your, in your toolkit. It's not going to be a panacea, but we can, we can look for ways to help. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that you asked that. I think that, in my particular niche of the industry, it's a little bit different than municipal and institutional pools, but I think there's there's some of our needs overlap and some of them don't. But uh, I know in the pool management niche that I'm in, which is basically, for the most part, HOAs and condos, um, there there is a need for kind of an overarching software that could encompass a lot of different things. Uh, and the first would be, you know, facility equipment and maintenance records. And I think there's software out there that does that adequately right now. Um, and I, but there, I don't know, I don't know of any software that has all of the things I'm going to mention here. Mm-hmm. Um, so along with that facility equipment and maintenance records, something that provides automated reminders for budgeting based upon life expectancy of the equipment. So you know, when do we expect to have to replace the pump, the motor, the pool cover, if it's an out, you know, outdoor pool, um, the tile, the plaster, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then a, th- this could be separate, but it would be great if it was integrated. Um, a software that does staff scheduling and timekeeping. And there are pieces of, there are uh, software packages out there that, that do offer that but not necessarily that I'm aware with in conjunction with everything else I've mentioned. And then finally, what would be great is if those two pieces could be integrated with a billing system like QuickBooks or something like that and a payroll system um, to streamline having all of our customer information in one place from, you know, this is what their, this is what their contract has. This is, these are their payments. These are all the repairs that they've done. Here's the last time we replaced the pump. Here's the next time they need a new cover. Um, if they want to increase their, add some guard hours, you know, it's going to cost X dollars more. Uh, mm-hmm. And to have one resource that we could go to that would kind of do all of that would just be awesome. And I, I'm not aware of anything that does that right yeah. now. Uh, but I think there's some people out there that have got some products that do uh, chunks of that. Um, mm-hmm. I just haven't seen it all together. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So you're looking for the the all-in-one 
to yeah which is kind of you know maybe is the is the unicorn but (laughs) yeah yeah well you know the the good thing about technology and i come i come from a best in class perspective so in technology usually have two different perspectives one is the the all-in-one solution and the other is the best in class Mm-hmm. The beauty of, and the reason why I personally like the best in class philosophy is because of the capabilities of integrations that exist with technology nowadays. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, there's a nice parallel with, um, you know, what you see in, in contracting and subcontracting and the reason why we have aquatics experts, but that whole best in class mentality of, you know, have somebody do one thing really, really well and then integrate with somebody who does something else really, really well. What you just need to have is an interface that ties it all together. And that's what you're looking for. That's yep. when best in class works. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Good deal. Well, um, Craig, this has been fantastic. Um, some great takeaways, some great applicable, I think, practical things for facilities, for builders to take. Um, we'll, we'll include a link to that checklist in the show notes, and I'll, I'll put a recap in our blog as well. Um, any parting thoughts or um, inspirational quotes uh, or last advice that you want to leave for uh, for the listeners of the podcast? Um, I'll just say, you know, aquatics has had a long, hard road this season, this year. And um, I would encourage us uh, not to accept defeat as an industry, but to accept the challenge to improve our services in a way that we can deliver them safely and continue people uh, continue to allow people to, to recreate safely because that's that's what drives me. That's what really excites me is, is is what we said back at the beginning is to be a part of this industry is it, it's just self rewarding because you know that we're doing good things for people. Yeah. Uh, we're helping them live healthier lives, and we have to remind ourselves of that sometimes because it's it, you know there's a lot of a lot of day to day issues that we get yeah. and drag us down. But really, the end goal is we are helping people live better lives and. Good to you for uh, good on you for doing that. Yeah, I love it. Great, great way to end it. Um, a couple of last thoughts. If people want to get a hold of you, um, they should email. Best yeah, way. email's great. Email's great. Craig at searspool.com. Uh, super easy. C-R-A-I-G at searspool.com. Perfect. And we'll put that in the show notes, but uh, searspool.com obviously is his website. Um, our website is the link. That's T-H-E-L-I-N-C.io, the link.io. And if you want to get a hold of me, I'm John, J-O-H-N at the link.io. Um, we'd love for you to stop by our website, subscribe to this podcast. Um, and if you want to join us, share some advice, we'd love to hear it. So feel free to drop me a note. Otherwise, thanks again, Craig. And thanks for listening. Thank Bye-bye. you, John.